The Escape Chapter 1 My name is Marco. I've always kind of liked my name, Marco. It brings Marco Polo to mind. Not that my last name is Polo. Or maybe it is. I'm not gonna tell you. None of us will tell you our last names. None of us Animorphs. Or where we live. Or anything else that would help the Yurks find us. Yurks? What are yurks, you wonder? I'll tell you. They are a species of parasites. Like tapeworms, only worse. See, yurks don't just crawl up inside your stomach or intestines. They crawl inside your brain. They sink their malleable bodies into the nooks and crannies of your brain. They tie straight into your brain's neurons. They control your brain. They control you more completely than it is possible for you to imagine. You think, oh, well... I would still be able to keep control over myself. But you'd be wrong. See, if you had a yurk in your head right now, it would be the yurk that would be moving your hands and fingers. The yurk who'd be focusing your eyes. The yurk who'd be deciding if you were hungry. The yurks enter your brain and make you a slave. They open your memories and read them like a book. You can still think, sure. You can still feel. You can be afraid or angry or humiliated but you can do nothing on your own. It is a slavery more total than any ever experienced on Earth. But then, the Yurks aren't from Earth. People with Yurks in their heads are called controllers. Human controllers, if the Yurk has taken over a human. hork controllers, when the victim is a hork Although, pretty much all hork are controllers, so we don't really bother to say hork controller. We fight the Yurk invasion led by the evil creature, Visser Three, Five human kids and an Analyte kid. We're the only people who know what's happening. Just us. And the Yurks, of course. And how do we fight? With the morphing power given to us by a dying Andalite prince. The power to become any animal we can touch. The power to morph. How do you know who is a controller and who isn't? That's the problem. You don't. You can look deep into the eyes of the person you trust most, and never, ever guess that behind those eyes is an alien parasite. Now you know why I won't tell you my last name. Or where I live. Not even what state. See, I want to live. I want to live to fight. And one day, I want to live to rescue the one person who matters most to me. The person whose eyes I looked into for years without knowing she was no longer my mother. But being an Animorph is not always danger in battle. There are other times when the power we possess can be useful. Even fun. And on that nice Wednesday afternoon, after school, I was at the mall with the others. Doing just that. Having fun. And we weren't at the usual, everyday mall. This was the new, massive, mega mall they'd built across town. It was Cassie's idea, oddly enough. Normally, she'd be the last person to ever cook up a harebrained scheme. But this involved mistreating animals. And you don't want to mess with animals when Cassie's around. Squawk! The food is good! The food is good! Squawk! 
It was me, Jake, Cassie, Tobias, Rachel, and Axe. Axe was in Human Morph, of course. So was Tobias. Tobias had regained his ability to morph now, but he was still a red-tailed hawk. He could morph into his old human shape, but if he stays in that shape more than two hours, he'll be trapped in it and never be able to morph again. He made the choice to live as a hawk and keep his morphing power. I don't know if I'd have been tough enough to make that choice. As for Axe, well, he's an Andalite. He has a human morph he uses sometimes. He was using it now, fortunately, or otherwise there would have been a lot of screaming and panicking and general weirding out. An Andalite walking around the mall is something you notice. Squawk? Try the Rainforest Burger. It's Squawk? Good. And this mall was a restaurant called the Amazon Cafe. It was a cool restaurant because it was like going to some ride at Disney World. The tables were totally surrounded by plants and stuff arranged to look like a jungle. There were lots of fake birds and fake alligators and fake snakes and fake trees. Unfortunately, there were also some real birds. Parrots, to be exact. These parrots were out where people wait in line to get a table. They were on perches, surrounded by people. Old people. Young people. Cool people. Annoying people. People who would try to scare the bird or feed them garbage or poke them with cigarette butts. Which annoyed Cassie. It annoyed her so badly, she had come to me and asked, Marco, what can I do to save those poor birds? They aren't allowed any dignity. And I had said, Hmm, parrots, right? They talk, right? Yeah, why? Do you have an idea? Oh, yes. I have a definite idea. And now, a couple days after that conversation, we were at the mall. And we were right in the forefront of people annoying the parrots. Say Howard Stern rules, a kid urged a bright green parrot. Squawk! Amazon Cafe! It's an adventure! No, idiot bird! Howard Stern rules, man! Say Howard Stern rules! Moron, Rachel sneered. The kid turned to her. Yeah, this bird is a total moron. I wasn't talking about the bird, you... Jake put his hand on Rachel's shoulder, quieting her down. Rachel has an occasional problem with anger, and she has no tolerance for jerks. Rachel is tall and blonde and beautiful, and totally without fear. Now, sure, way deep down inside, she's also insecure, scared by her own inability to fit in, and way too pressured to live up to her own high standards. But all of that stuff is way down inside. Way down so far that if you ever tried to reach it, she'd have sliced and diced you before you even got close. Okay, let's do this, Jake said. It's almost time for them to clean the parrot perches, if Cassie's timing is right. Every day at this time, Cassie assured us. In fact, here comes the woman who does it. I saw a 20-something woman in a waitress uniform coming toward us. She was carrying a large wire cage. Squawk! Potstickers! Potstickers! Squawk! Okay, we're straight on this? Rachel, Marco, Cassie, and me, follow her to the back. Tobias and Axe, you stay here as backup. Backup, Axe agreed. Back up. Back up. Look, is that the place where cinnamon buns are created? Oh, cinnamon buns. Bunza. Jake sighed. Maybe after we're done, we could go to Cinnabon, he said in his talking to lunatics voice. 
See, in his own body, Axe has no mouth. Andalites talk by thought speech and eat through their hooves. So when he's human, the Axe Man can get a little weird about spoken sounds. And a lot weird about flavor. And utterly insane when exposed to cinnamon buns, which, as far as Axe is concerned, are the finest things that the human race has ever created. Forget music and art. Axe would trade the Mona Lisa for a Cinnabon, straight across. Okay, she's going, Cassie warned. The woman had stuffed the four parrots into the cage and was heading back into the restaurant. We followed her. I sang, doing the theme for Mission Impossible. Your mission, should you decide to accept it, give the parrots back their dignity and strike a blow for Mommy Earth. Cassie rolled her eyes at me. Jake hit a smile. I can't believe you're going along with this, Jake. Responsible Jake giving his okay to a totally personal use of our powers. Never thought I'd see the day, I teased him. It's cause he really likes Cassie, I added to Rachel in a stage whisper. It's because I know if I didn't say yes, Cassie would do it anyway, and she'd get Rachel to go along, and possibly you, and the three of you need someone, someone sensible along. Yes, Dad, I mocked. Jake made this deep-in-the-throat grinding noise he makes sometimes. But I just laughed. Jake's been my best friend forever. He may be leader of the Animorphs, but that doesn't mean I have to take him too seriously. We followed the woman and the parrots, up to the point where she walked through her doorway into a storage room. We waited till she came back out and headed up to clean the parrot perch. Then, into the storage room we went. I hummed. Have I mentioned shut up, Marco? Rachel asked in a conversational tone. Okay, come on you guys, Cassie urged. We went up to the parrot cage. Cassie removed the birds one by one, placing them into our hands. The birds remained very quiet as we acquired them. That's what we call it when we absorb the DNA of an animal. Acquiring. It always puts the animal in a kind of trance. The parrots were no different. We hid the parrots in a well-ventilated cupboard. Cassie assured us it was safe. And now, all that was left to do was to become the parrots. To morph the parrots. So, that's what we did. Chapter 2 Most people think morphing into an animal is fun. And I guess it is. But what it is, more than fun, is terrifying. And bizarre. And extreme. Until you've done it, it's impossible to really understand how extreme it is. The body you've had since you were born, the body with two arms and two legs and a head with your own personal face stuck on the front, changes. It changes completely, until nothing is left of you but your mind. You don't have your fingers to wiggle, or your legs to stand on, or your mouth to talk with. You look at the world through another animal's eyes. As I focused my mind on the parrot, I felt the changes begin. The first thing that happened was that my skin turned green. Not that tinge of green you might get when you're sick or something. I'm talking green. Brilliant, glowing, lustrous green. The green of the parrot's feathers. Whoa, cool, I said. And it was cool, because at that same moment, the others were changing colors too.
Jake was turning white as snow. Dead white. Rachel was a fascinating mix of yellow and orange. And Cassie... Well, Cassie has a sort of unconscious talent for morphing. On her, deep crimson, the red the color of blood, spread down from her shoulders, down and down her arms, down to her fingertips. Then, the color rose up her neck, to change her face like it was a glass pitcher being slowly filled with cherry Kool-Aid. The very last thing to change were the whites of her eyes. For a brief second, they shone white. Then, like all the rest of her, they turned red. Once my entire body was brilliant green, I began to shrink. The dirty floor of the storm rose up to meet me. It was like I was falling, like I'd passed out and was dropping face first toward the floor. As I shrank, my feet became bird feet. My thick, solid human bones became hollow bird bones. My internal organs, my lungs and stomach and liver, all twisted around in ways that should have made me scream in agony, except for the fact that morphing technology deadens pain. My green skin became even brighter as I became smaller. Feather patterns drew themselves across my skin. My fingers sprouted outward and thinned to become feathers. And then, my face simply exploded outward. My entire face. Just sprout. My teeth, my lips, my nose, my chin, all bulged out like they were made of silly putty, and someone was sticking their fist through from behind. My skin, the skin that had been my cheeks and lips, turned hard. Hard as old fingernails. My huge, ridiculously large parrot beak was forming. It was the color of old man fingernails. I looked at my friends through sharply focused eyes. Not quite Hawkeyes, but better than human vision. Well, aren't we colorful? I said in Thoughtspeak. Thoughtspeak is the telepathy we have when we're in Morph. Better get into the cage quick before the woman comes back, Cassie urged. And right about then, I felt the parrot brain bubble up within my own human mind. It was weird. I've dealt with animal brains that were nothing but fear, like a mouse brain, and animal brains that were all about killing, like a wolf spider's brain. I've even had to deal with the machine-like, soulless brain of the ant. But it is rare to actually feel something like intelligence in that animal brain. I've been a gorilla and a dolphin, and both of those are very smart animals. The parrot wasn't that smart, but there was definite thinking power in that brain. The parrot could think, it could reason, and I realized it could feel. It could feel emotions beyond simple instinct. The parrot brain didn't overwhelm my human consciousness. It was just there. And as I began to realize how complex that brain was, I began to understand why Cassie was so mad. Hey, these birds are smart, I said. Very smart, Cassie agreed. Too smart to be stuck out there on a crappy perch and be pestered all day. These birds should be flying free in the rainforest, not stuck in a mall. Not that we can really run around freeing every parrot in the country, Jake said pointedly. We're clear on that, right? Yeah, but we can make the Amazon Cafe wish it had never heard of parrots, I said. A few minutes later, the woman came to carry us back out to the clean perches. I looked around at the crowd gathered there. Ah, so many people, so little time to insult them all, I said. Then I tried something I have never tried with any morph. I tried to make the parrot speak, 
Here's a clue. It's not easy talking when you have no lips. All the sounds have to be made in the throat. Like a ventriloquist. But I figured it out. We all did. And then, there was nothing left for us to do, but talk to all the people standing in line. And talk is what we did. Squawk! Amazon burgers are made with cat meat. Squawk! Squawk! Try our spaghetti with hair. Squawk! Amazon Cafe nachos and toe jam. Tobias was in the crowd, smirking, as he watched the people turn slightly green. Axe was with him, scarfing a slice of pizza he had gotten somewhere. I could only hope it wasn't from the trash. Squawk! Botulism! Food poisoning! Squawk! Enjoyed the fried booger strips! Oddly enough, many people standing in line decided to go find another restaurant. The restaurant manager took about five minutes to decide that real-life parrots were maybe not a good idea. But we decided we'd make dead sure he got the message. Squawk! By the way, is that your nose or are you eating a banana? Squawk! What's that on your head? A wombat? Squawk! It's a toupee! It's a toupee! Squawk! Squawk! We should be flying free in our native habitat! That last one was Cassie, of course. It was a little talky for a parrot, if you ask me. After that, we were out of there. I spotted Tobias applauding softly and laughing. I was feeling pretty good, pretty cocky, until I saw another face behind Tobias, way back in the crowd. I knew that face. Eric. Eric the Chi. Chapter 3 Eric the Chi used to be Eric, this guy I knew from school. But Eric is a lot more than just some guy. The Chi are a race of androids. They pass as humans by projecting a sort of holographic energy field around themselves that looks human. Eric may look like a kid, but he is older than human history. The Chi came to Earth hundreds of thousands of years ago. They were companions to the Pemelites, whose home planet had been devastated by a violent invasion. The Pemelites had fled, but too late. By the time they reached Earth, the Pemelites were finished. Their deathless androids did all they could. They gave the essence of the Pemelites a new life. They melded them with wolves. And from this union, dogs were born. If you know how basically sweet and faithful and loving dogs are, you know what the Pemelites were like. And you also know a little of what the Chi are like. The Chi are peaceful, but not out of weakness. Eric, all by himself, could have taken on every person in the mall that day beaten them all, and ripped them all down around our ears. Literally. But the Chi are pacifists. It's the way they are. They are also enemies of the Yurks. They watch the Yurks and learn about them, and, in their nonviolent way, do all they can to delay the Yurks. Eric waited till we were done with our little prank. He waited till I was walking away through the mall with Jake. We had split from the others so as not to look like a group, Hi, Marco, Eric said. Hello, Jake. We didn't exactly rush over to throw our arms around him. We'd seen what happened the one time Eric did go postal. It was hard to forget. Hard to treat someone that powerful like just another kid. Hi, Eric. How's it going? Jake asked guardedly. Fine. And we know, through our sources, 
that you have been doing good work against. Against our mutual acquaintances. He lowered his voice. I think we'd better have some privacy. Suddenly, the air around us shimmered. All the noises of the mall were blanked out. And Eric was no longer human. He was a chrome and ivory robot, shaped like a little lean dog, walking erect. What did you do? I asked. I extended my hologram out around us all. People walking by are seeing a group of security guards talking. No one will bother or overhear us. It was a cool trick, but it made my stomach do a little flip. Eric wasn't going to all this trouble just to talk about sports or whatever. Rescuing the two Freehork Bajir was a good thing. They may prove to be the seeds of something very powerful and good. You may have begun the salvation of an entire race. I shrugged. We like to keep busy. It's either rescue entire races or play Nintendo. Eric laughed with his chrome dog's muzzle. Then, he was instantly serious again. I need to talk to you privately, Marco. Well, I don't have any secrets from Jake, I said. I think that's the basis of a good marriage. Openness, honesty. It's about someone who was once very close to you, Marco. My heart stopped beating. I knew instantly who he meant. I started to say something, but my first words died on my tongue. I tried again. My mom? Eric glanced at Jake. It's okay, Jake said. I know. I'm the only one who does. Eric nodded. Marco, your mother has returned to Earth. She is overseeing some very secret new project. It's being run from Royan Island. Or, to be precise, it is being run from the waters around Royan Island. I wasn't really hearing what Eric was saying. I was still back on the part about my mom returning to Earth. Jake understood. He took over dealing with Eric. What are they doing out there in the ocean? We don't know, Eric said. But whatever it is, it would have to be huge for Visser 1 to be overseeing it. Visser 3 must be a little ticked about that. Eric nodded. Visser 3 is not one of Visser 1's favorite yurks, and vice versa. Yeah, Jake agreed. Look, I... We weren't sure whether to tell you about this, but we've learned all we can, and I felt Marco had a right to know she was back on Earth. But you guys have to be clear about something. Visser 1 didn't get to the top of the yurk hierarchy by being nice. She is brilliant and dangerous. Jake looked at me to see how I was reacting. You guys think I don't know what Visser 1 is like? I said hotly. I know you do, Eric said. But humans are easily tricked by outer appearances. You judge people by their faces and eyes. The face of Visser 1 is the face of someone you trust, Marco. But if you Animorphs decide to investigate this thing on Royan Island, you may come up against Visser 1 directly. I could see where he was going, and it made me mad. I don't even know why. Look, Eric, I'm not an idiot, okay? He shook his robot head. I know you aren't, but you love your mother. You want to save her, so you may make mistakes. I swear, I would have swung at Eric, but he would have let me hit him, and I would have just hurt my hand. 
There's one other clue, Eric said. We have reason to believe that some new species of controller is at Royan Island. We believe they are called Lyrans. Thanks, Eric, Jake said. Will he be alright? Eric asked Jake. I didn't wait to hear Jake's answer. I turned and stepped out of the hologram. I saw a woman's eyes widen in shock. What she had seen was a kid stepping directly out of a casually chatting security guard. Jake caught up with me a few seconds later. Eric didn't mean anything bad. You know that, Jake said. He just meant... I know what he meant, I snapped. He meant if it came to crunch time, would I destroy my own mother to protect the mission? That's what he meant. Jake grabbed my shoulder and turned me around. And? I was still mad, but I knew why I was mad. It wasn't that Eric had insulted me somehow. It was that Eric was right. I don't know, Jake, I said. I don't know. Hello, Phantomorphs, and thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs auditory experience. As always, this is your host, Daniel. And here we are, book 15, how far we've come and how far we still have to go. Uh, no real announcements here, so just, you know, your standard stuff. If you use Apple Podcasts, be sure to give me a rating and review if you feel like it. If you want to tell some friends about that, that'd be really cool too. If you want to see my website, that's theapocalypse.com. It's the apocalypse. It's like apocalypse, but with a D in the middle. Um, go check out all the things I do and some of the things my friends do. It's all on there. If you'd like to reach me, you can do that at audiomorphscast at gmail.com or audiomorphscast.tumblr.com. Uh, I'd also like to apologize. I forgot to add the intro-outro music on the uh, supercut of Book 14. Realized that about midway through the week. Uh, went back and edited that, edited that in real quick. So it's all good now. If you downloaded it early and you really like the intro music, uh, sorry you missed that. It's there now. Uh, nothing, nothing else this week, so I'll just see you all next week. My name is Daniel. And I believe one day, the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight.